0: listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can be here together gathered around Your Word. Lord, we ask that You would give us ears to hear, hearts that are open um, to, to hear Your voice and to, and to change, if that's what You're calling us to do, to trust. To obey, to rejoice, um, all the things that you would have us do, Lord. We know that your word is living and active and able to do those things. So come now as we as we speak your word and do that work in us through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. So we're in Genesis. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. So we're gonna we're starting actually in the very last verse of chapter 26. So chapter 26, verse. 34, I believe it is, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 28, verse 9. So it's a long passage. I'm not going to read it all in one go. I'm going to break it up into, into chunks so you can follow along with me. Last week, we asked the question, what is God like? What is God like from chapter 26 when we saw that God is faithful, God is Savior, God is with us, and God is a revealer of himself. This week, I want to ask a similar question, and it's this. What is God not like? What is God not like? Uh, I have a very simple answer in mind to that question. God is not like me. He's not like me, and he's not like you either, and that's good. Um, He is infinitely more loving than I am, infinitely more gracious, more compassionate, more holy, wiser um, than any of us. And one thing that I want you to see, particularly from this chapter as we get into the story, is that when we mess up, and there's a lot of messing up that happens in this chapter, he does not, like, rub our noses in it. He doesn't gloat over us when we disobey and say, I told you so, you should have listened to me. Even though clearly we should have listened to him. But he doesn't get up and tell us that. He holds his arms out and embraces us. He loves us. He is the father who... If you know the story, the prodigal son runs off the porch to embrace us when we come back covered in pig food. And, you know, before Jesus ever told that story, we've got similar moments and pictures of repentance and grace, even here in the book of Genesis. It's a book full of men and women who often choose pleasure and things that don't last. They choose violence and human strategies over obedience to God, again and again. And yet, at every turn, these men and women both reap the consequences of their sin and disobedience, and they return to God in repentance. And when they do, what do they find? They find the sweet fruit of grace. I don't want to show you that this morning. The story we're looking at might be, to some of you, a little bit more familiar than sort of the series of episodes we looked at last week. Um... It's the the story of how um, Jacob, who is the second of the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, he he tricks his dad, his elderly dad, who's blind, into blessing him and giving him the blessing even though his dad wants to bless his older brother Esau. Uh, That, of course, leads eventually to Jacob having to run away and flee from his brother who is furious with him and wants to kill him. There is really not a lot that's uplifting about this story. It's very messy. Um, it's a messy family drama story, and there's a lot of that in Genesis. None of the characters in this story are the good guy. None of them. They're all pretty messed up. Um, God doesn't speak in this chapter like we saw him last week. God's speaking directly to Isaac. This week, we don't hear the voice of God in the story. We just see the characters being human, doing their things, and the consequences playing out just like they do in our lives. Uh, God doesn't speak here, though, for a reason. He doesn't speak here because he doesn't need to. Everything that he needed to say about this episode, he has already said. Um, if you remember, back before the two twin boys were even born, God came to uh, Rebecca. He, he appeared to Rebecca. As she was praying, because she was having a really rough time in pregnancy, she was in agony, and she prays to God and says, what's going on? And God says, here's why you're in agony. You've got twins. And uh, these two, they're, they're, they're not just two boys, but they are going to be the father of two nations. And these nations are going to end up at odds with each other. They're going to end up as rivals. And in fact... The older one, who would normally be the one who comes out on top, is going to serve the younger one. The older will serve the younger. God speaks this word to Rebecca while she's pregnant. Now, she would have shared that word with her husband, Isaac, so they knew that God's word and God's will was that the older one would serve the younger one, that the younger one would be stronger. They knew that. And yet we're going to see in the story that Isaac does not heed that word. He disregards it. He ignores it because he thinks he knows better than God. And yet despite the disobedience that we see on display in this story, what's amazing is that God does not reject this family. This is not a model family. This is a family that's very dysfunctional and just like many of our families are dysfunctional. And God pours out on them grace. He still pours out on them the promised blessing. God is patient. He's kind. He's familiar with our weaknesses and sin. And one day from this family, from this family will come his own son, the sin bearer, the snake crusher, the heir of blessing, and our only hope. We ought to pause as we read through this account and think about how often we invite consequences, pain and sorrow, into our lives and into our families and communities when we sin. And sometimes we sin like Esau and Isaac in this story. We just completely ignore the Word of God. We know what we ought to do, and we just don't care, and we do our own thing. Sometimes, though, we sin a bit more like Jacob and Rebecca in this story, and, and you're going to see that they also know the right thing to do. They see the the goal, the end goal, and they want to get there, and they use the kind of their own strategies and their own Evil, sinful means to get to that good end, and we reap the consequences. Whether we're a bit more like Esau or a bit more like Jacob, but since we're a gospel people, and this is a gospel text, I want us to look beyond the sin and beyond the consequences to see the sweet fruit of repentance. And it's it's, it's hard to see. You might miss it if you blink, but it's there, and I want to point it out this morning. Of what it looks like to turn back to the God who loves us so much that He died for us while we were still dead in our own sin. So I'm going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read it in sections because it's long, and in slightly, I'm going to change up the order a little bit if that's okay. So you got to track with me here. We'll start with Esau, the older brother, um, and as I mentioned, his sin—the sin of Esau—is total disregard for God's word. So I'm going to start in chapter 26, verse 34. I'm going to read to 27:4, and then I'm going to jump down to verse. 30 to 41. Okay, so follow along with me as I read. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, daughter of Biri the Hethite, and Basimath, daughter of Elon, the Hethite. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am, He said, look, I'm old and do not know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out in the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now, in the intervening time, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Jacob and Rebecca's plot and scheme and something happens. And then we come back to Esau down in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived back from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came and deceitfully took your blessing. So he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look now, he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I've made him a master over you have given him all his, of his relatives as his servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches, richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother, but when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So before we dive into this little section, I wanna I wanna just give us a little um rem- reminder of uh, one of the keys of understanding the whole plot, the whole story of the book of Genesis. If you go all the way back to the beginning, just after Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, um, God comes and speaks first, if you remember, to the serpent that deceived the woman. And he says these words in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between her, your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the very first gospel text in the Bible. This is a, a prophecy, a prediction of Jesus, the one who will come and strike the head of the serpent. He is the ultimate descendant or offspring of the woman. It's a, one offspring from one human family who will come, and that's, that's Jesus. But there's another thing going on. I've, I've talked about this before, about how this verse really separates the human family into two camps, two sides, if you like. There is the side of the evil serpent, or team serpent, and then there's the side of the woman, the offspring of the woman, that's team Eve. And her righteous line that will come from her, they will be in, not perfect people, but ultimately they will have faith in the coming of Jesus, the snake crusher, and Everybody that has that kind of faith is then included in the family of God's people. So you've got Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They are all part of Team Eve. There are others, but there are some of the main ones. And then there's, as I said, there's Team Serpent. They're unrighteous people. They have no concern for God, only for themselves and their cravings. And these people become enemies and persecutors of God's people. These are people like Cain and Canaan and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah Ishmael and now Esau, all of them belong to Team Serpent. And you notice it doesn't, it cuts through family, divides families in two. It's not simply a biological family thing, right? You've got these two teams, Team Eve and Team Serpent. And whether you're a part of them, it's not about your behavior. A lot of folks on Team Eve, and we're going to see that this week too, do some really terrible, rotten things. The key that separates them, as I said, is faith in God. Devotion to his word that's evidenced by listening to his word and doing what he says, by obedience to God, by waiting on God. And so when we come to Esau, we meet the character in this story who is the opposite of that, who refuses to listen, either from ignorance or, or choice, refuses to obey. He, he's listening to the voice of the serpent. The serpent's not there, but the serpent is the one who whispers in the near, did God really say that if you behave this way, if you do this thing, that you'll die? Esau is a man who would be honored in many cultures, including our own, as a man's man. I think I said this last week. He's a a self-made man. He's a hunter. He can get his own food. He doesn't need anybody. He's got this epic red beard. He can pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He has this unthinking and impulsive kind of self-confidence that I can be anything that I want to be. He's fueled by physical strength but see it's that all of that skill set that resume those habits that have made him deaf and blind to God's word God's word that actually helps us to live I want to look at what I call Esau like behavior see at the end of chapter 26 Esau gets married he takes two wives for himself at age 40 which was incidentally is the same age his dad was when he got married but if you remember, do you, I don't know if you remember, this was last year, how Isaac got married, his love story. Um, Abraham's servant goes back to Abraham's clan, ancestral clan, and finds uh, a wife, Rebecca, for him. It was a, a miraculous turn of events. Um, now, Isaac's dad does not do that for his son Esau. Esau just is looking around in the place where they were, sees these two women, and decides, yep, they'll, they'll do and he gets married to these women. They're he, um, Hethite women, which is a, one of the tribes of the Canaanites. So they're clearly pagan. They're not God fearing people. Um, notice that Esau, in doing this, he doesn't care what God thinks, he doesn't care what anyone thinks. He just sees two women and he takes them. Then in chapter 27, Isaac is very old and weak. He's basically gone blind. And before he dies, he knows he has to bless his boys. Isaac's physical blindness in this story points to his spiritual blindness, his blindness and disregard of God's word. Um, He knew, as I said before, about the prophecy. He knew that God had said to Rebekah, his wife, the older would serve the younger, that Jacob should have received the blessing. But instead he is determined in his heart because he is Esau, the oldest, is his favorite, and he's determined to bless the favorite. He sends Esau out to hunt for animals, to cook for him, so that in verse 4, so I can bless you before I die. Why does he do that? It's interesting, if you go all the way back to chapter 25, verse 28, Moses, the narrator, tells us this. He says that Isaac loved Esau, listen to this, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. Why was Esau his favorite? Because Isaac liked his meat. He liked to eat. And Esau was a good hunter. It could give him what he wanted. He satisfied his fleshly craving. And he loved food, at least in this instance, more than he loved God's word. Jump down into later in the chapter to verse 32. And following where Esau, he comes back from the hunt with his game. And once the the penny drops and Isaac and they both realize that he's been tricked that he blessed the wrong son, so to speak, in verse 33. We read that he began to tremble uncontrollably, like he's, 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 literally, like he's shaking so much. What, why was that, you wonder? Why, why was he shaking like that? Maybe he was afraid of his son. He knew his son had a temper, and he was afraid that his son was going to get mad. In his old age, he felt weak and vulnerable. I think, though, he probably trembled because, for the first time in a long time, Isaac recognized the hand of God. He said, this would not have worked. This deception, this trickery, would not. It's not just because Jacob's so smart and so tricky. God did this. God has a way of, when he says this is going to happen, of making it happen, sometimes through really strange means. Isaac recognized the hand of God and he knew it wasn't just Jacob that was responsible. God was in control the whole time and he saw, he knew that he had disregarded, that he'd been caught out. He had not listened to God's word and, and God overruled him. God overruled him. God's word stands, you see, whether or not you or I believe it, whether we obey it. Whether we even care or know about it, God's word stands. It never fails. It never fades. The fear here, you see, the trembling you see in Isaac, isn't the fear of Esau. It's the fear of God. The fear of God is the key, of, key to wisdom, right? It's the, it's the first step toward repentance. And we're going to see that repentance pop up just a little bit later. So that's why Isaac doesn't immediately promise Esau some sort of consolation prize, Remember Ishmael? Ishmael was not the son of the promise. Ishmael was also got a, ble- a blessing of sorts, even though he wasn't Isaac, he wasn't the promised one. He still got promise of sons, of 12 nations will come from you. And so you kind of think, well, that's weird. Why didn't, why didn't Isaac just bless Esau and give him some sort of like, lesser blessing like Ishmael got? But I think Esau, he, or Isaac, in this moment, is fearing God, and he sees what's happened Esau beg, begs him like three times, please bless me too. And Isaac says in verse 37, look, I have made him master over you. What then can I do for you, my son? Why does he speak that way? Because he knows this is God that's done this. I can't, he can't no longer resist God's will. That's what he's saying. Esau begs again, and, and his father essentially curses him to dwell in an infertile, unproductive land, serve his brother before he eventually breaks free. And notice Esau's response. He doesn't repent. What's he do? He doubles down in his anger. He plots to kill his brother after his father dies. He goes full team serpent all the way. The sin of Esau, as I said, it's total disregard for God's word. And I wonder if for some of us, if you're listening and you can relate, if you've, ever been in a situation in life where you've heard God speaking to you. You know God's will for your life. It's clear in Scripture. He's calling you to fight against and kill a particular sin or pattern of sin in your life. And you're just clinging on to it because it's your right. It's your comfortable spot. Or maybe, you know, I see Saul-like behavior myself when I hold on to grudges against other people or keep lists of the wrongs that people have done to me in my mind. I know it's wrong, but it's my right to keep, to remember. So often. Um, I see this as a pastor sometimes when, when people just stubbornly refuse to, to submit and surrender in trust to what the Bible says about sexuality or about dating unbelievers. Have these kinds of conversations and so many of us just, it's, it's, it's my right. I, I, I have no other option. I have to fend for myself because I can't trust God to do it for me. That's the voice of the serpent. And it's deadly and it, it never leads to a, a good place. God's word, see, is for our joy. For our joy, for our flourishing. It's, and living a life that's just about pleasing yourself in the moment, trusting yourself, is a, is a road that leads to ruin and regret every single time. You will never, ever regret taking God at his word. It's the sin of Esau. Total disregard for God's word. I want to turn now to the sin of Jacob and Rebecca here. And we're going to see this in verses 5 to 29 of chapter 27. And this is trying to do good, good, using evil means. So follow along as I read. Now, Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves Then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then I'll be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck Then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, my father, and he answered, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? And he replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Ooh, that's dangerous territory there. Okay, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. And when he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Then he said, bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, "'Please come closer and kiss me, my son.' So he came closer and kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, "'Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field "'that the Lord has blessed. "'May God give to you from the dew of the sky "'and from the richness of the land "'an abundance of grain and new wine. "'May people serve you and nations bow and worship to you. "'Be master over your relatives. "'May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. "'Those who curse you will be cursed.' And those who bless you will be blessed. So here we've got two schemers, Jacob and his mom, Rebecca. Remember, um, she's the one who directly heard the prophecy. She knew that Jacob was meant to be stronger and get the blessing. And Jacob grew up, from the time he was an infant, being the mama's boy. She was, his, she was her favorite. Um, I don't know if any of you grew up in a family where your mom and dad had favorites, Maybe you are mom, dad, and you feel like you have to kind of fight that urge. I have younger uh, twin sisters who I love very much, um, and they will, if you listen to them, which you should not do, um, claim that I was the favorite. Um, I don't know. I felt like they always ganged up on me. So y- y- we all have our we all have our perspective on life growing up, um, but. If that has been your experience where you were not the favored child of your parents, it can be incredibly painful. It can lead to years long um, hurt and and rifts within families. And we see that happening here. Um, One of the things we're meant to ask here in this text is why Rebecca puts herself and Jacob in such danger of being if they're found out, they're in big trouble. Is it because of her faith in God she's trying to make, bring God's word to pass? Or is it because Jacob is just kind of her, her man? Like, her, like you, we've all got our favorite football team. Like in, you, you, we just gotta, they, they just have to win at all costs. Is it about winning for her? We don't really know. But notice in verse 13 when Jacob is sort of worried about his plan, what if it goes wrong? What if he finds out? Um, She says to him, don't worry about it, because if he finds out, the curse is going to land on me, not you. It's a pretty bold thing to say. She's putting herself at pretty big risk um, in order to do this, in her mind, this very good thing for her son. Uh, But in the process, though, what what is she teaching him? What's she teaching him? It's not, follow me as I follow God. Let's wait on God and trust God together. No, she's saying, follow me. Just do what I say, no matter what. That is what I might call dead-end parenting or dead-end discipleship. See, because whenever we seek to influence another person, and that influence then is directed back to us, there's nowhere for that person to go, but then to us. Discipleship is never meant, parenting never meant to point our children or our the people we're discipling back to ourselves. It's meant to. Point people beyond ourselves to Christ. Point our kids beyond ourselves to Christ. And that's exactly what she does not do here. Jacob obeys his mom. And uh, lo and behold, the plan works. It works. Why? Because God allows it to work. It's, It's actually not a very good plan. I mean, like, if goat skin, like, does not feel like human hair. But yet, somehow, Isaac is blind enough, blinded by God, that this whole thing works. You know, and it, you almost, like, there's these moments of dramatic tension in the book, like, you know, they, how did you find it so quickly? And Jacob goes, because God helped me. Ugh, that's actually blasphemy. He's, he's, he's implicating God in his lies, saying, God helped me lie. mean, <laughs> he doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. That's, that's a risky thing to do. Um, but because Isaac, his dad, is blind, um, he ends up unwittingly, unwillingly doing the will of God. And as I said before, he's about to get this big dose of reality, big dose of the fear of God. See, the sin of Jacob and his mom, they're, they're trying to do good in their minds, but they use evil means, lying, deception, blasphemy even. Rebecca, you know, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. She's trying to honor the prophecy about Jacob. But she curses herself potentially to make it happen, and that's not God's way of doing things. God, Jacob's trying to obey his mom, and then he gets the blessing in spite of the deception and the potential mess it could create. And This is one of the key themes of Genesis, is how God uses evil people and evil actions to bring about his good purposes. It's, it's a bit hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around, especially if you've been the victim of an evil act or an evil uh, will of some kind, men and women you see are still guilty for what they for their evil jacob rebecca they 're still guilty of deception, and yet, despite their intentions, despite their sin, God uses their sin to bring about his will, which was for Jacob to be blessed. But the consequences are still there there 's still natural consequences we 're going to get there In the next few weeks you 're going to see Jacob spends the next several decades of his life being deceived by others, by his relatives, in the same way he deceived his brother and his father. There are consequences for actions, even when God uses those actions to bring about his purposes. And We need to learn from Jacob and Rebecca that to live by faith, it means we have to let go and renounce any attempt to try to control our circumstances and harness the future with ungodly means. With deception and, and lies, um, you know. Back to the example of eight uh, of dating. Imagine as a as a Christian, you're, uh, you 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 feel strongly about uh, having a, a family, and you decide um, as, as a single person to go onto a dating app, and and in that dating app, let's say it's one of the, the Christian ones, and uh, you you just kind of you know inflate your resume a little bit. You know, you start talking about how many kids you sponsor and how many people you've led to Jesus and all this. I don't, I don't know what you, I've never been on a Christian dating app, so I don't know what you would say. But is that, is that honoring the Lord? No, of, of course not. Because to wait on the Lord means to trust his timing, not to take matters into our own hands. Um, you know, you can massage the truth in lots of ways on, you know, a kid's school application or a job application. You might think that's rare, but it's actually not. It happens. And we use all sorts of, you know, we can justify all sorts of dumb things like that. Thinking that God will overlook it because our hearts are in the right place. Nobody's perfect. Um, But God, see, demands holiness and integrity in everything that we do. It matters how, how we do what we do matters just as much as what we do. Our motivations matter. Why? Because we're not doing this to earn salvation. If you're a Christian, you're saved. Your salvation and your future, your blessing is locked in. It is locked in. And so we don't need to massage the truth. We don't need to try to take the bull by the horns and use whatever worldly means that we want to get that because we already have it. And so when we choose to wait, when we choose to take the L, we are showing the world that we have a better hope and a better future and it's worth waiting for. God demands this holiness and integrity in everything we do, not to earn salvation, but to show the world we already have it. Those who follow Christ, we don't rely on ungodly means to flourish. Now, I said before, I don't want to leave us here in the mud thinking about all the dumb and sinful things that we can do sometimes. I want to show you the gospel in this text. And so as rotten as the stench of sin can be in our own lives, the fruit of genuine repentance and grace is very sweet. So let me read 2742 down to 28 verse 9. When the words of her older son, Esau, were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son, Jacob, and said to him, Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send for you, and I'll bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries somebody from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Paddan the house of Bethuel, to your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Paddan Aram to get a wife there. And when he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Paddan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women, so Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the sister of Nebiath. All right, so Rebekah overhears Esau's plotting to kill Jacob, and she plots again uh, for him to escape, um, and so again, she's scheming in her mind. Um, she wants, <laughs> you, you notice the, um, one of the marks of a schemer is that when people are really good at it, they end up, they will eventually implicate you. Like if you trust a skeet, you'll eventually get burned. Look what she does in verse 45 to her own son. She says, Until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Not, not, not we, not what I made you do, but what you've done. Like he is completely under the bus in that moment. Um, be careful who you follow. I'll just say that. Verse 46, she shows her hand a bit. Call back to the beginning of the whole episode. She's absolutely furious with Esau because of his wives. There is some mother-in-law, daughter-in-law tension going on. Um, she's so mad. She wants to die. Uh, the um, desire to plot and scheme and lie and not trust God, it's, you know, so often comes from a place of bitterness, a place of anger. That God does not know how to truly make us happy. And so the, the bad things, the hard things that we go through in life, the relational tension and conflict, that takes center stage. Well, God, how could I possibly do what you want when this is going on, when I've got this person in my ear, when, I, when, this, when I've got my background, when that person did this to me? How can I possibly trust you? And that's where Rebecca is in this moment. She's having to find happiness and flourishing for herself. Now comes the moment of awakening, of repentance. Isaac finally comes to his senses in chapter 28. It took him long enough. He sees how upset his wife is, and so he he calls Jacob um, after his mom's already packed his bag. He's already on on his way out the door, but Isaac calls him in and says, okay, I'm going to send you there. You're going to go there with my blessing. He blesses him intentionally this time. He knows it's Jacob, not Esau, Um, Anyway, he doesn't want his son marrying pagan women like Esau to bring even more grief and humiliation into the family. But notice what he does when he blesses him. In verses 3 and 4, he blesses him with the exact same blessing of Abraham. It's not just saying, hey, you're going you know, to be stronger than your brother. He says he gives him the, ble- the blessing of Abraham that one day his offspring would possess all of the land where they were currently living as foreigners. It's what he should have done to begin with, but it's never too late for a course correction. It's never too late. He, he, he's, picture it. Isaac is probably well over 100 years old. He's, he's blind. He's clearly done the wrong thing, and he is humble enough in this moment to do what he should have done to begin with. And so he sends him to find a wife just like Abraham had done for him. Again, what he should have done years ago. Repentance, you see, for it to be genuine, and this is true for us too, involves action. It's not just words. It's not just words. He takes action. Real repentance requires real steps to make things right. That's how we know this is genuine, because Isaac is taking real steps. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, we read these words, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. See, before his repentance, Isaac was acting on human instinct, according to the principles of the world. After his repentance, he's acting by what? By faith in the word of God. That's repentance. He chose the younger son in this moment. He chose and blessed Jacob because he knew that Jacob was God's choice. It wasn't his first choice, but he was God's choice. And that's what mattered in this moment. And this is repentance. It's what it looks like. Isaac can now die in peace knowing that his house is in order. Everything is as it should be. The fruit of genuine repentance is sweet. Now, this section ends with um, kind of a contrast, a bit of a foil to that moment. Uh, This could have been like if this was a DVD. I think this might have been one of the deleted scenes, but here it is. Esau is uh, kind of looking through the crack in the door, overhearing what his dad is saying to his little brother, and, and the penny finally drops. He finally works out that mom and dad don't really like the women that I married. Um, oh, you know, it seems like he could have figured that out a while ago. Um, and so he, he, he sort of repents, sort of. What does he do? He goes, because uh, his, his mom and his mom and dad have sent his brother off to his mom's side of the family. So he decides to go on his own initiative to his dad's side of the family to find another wife. So he goes to Ishmael, to one of his, and marries one of his uh, granddaughters. And he's thinking, maybe this will fix the problem. This will get mom and dad off my back. This will turn things around for me. This is what we think, and this is what it looks like when we think that we are the solution to our own problems. This is what we call faux repentance. It's not the repentance of listening to those who are wiser than us and listening to the voice of God this is listening to myself i will fix this i will i will do image control public relations i'll put i'll fix things on the outside and now you've got to like me now you owe me because i've done you see this is what this is how we often we often repent but this is not the path of repentance true repentance is to listen to the voice of God and then to have a complete change of action to conform and follow what he has for us to do. Now see, the beauty of the gospel, beauty of the gospel is that uh, God is not first interested in just simply changing what you look like on the outside, managing people's opinions of you. God's not into public relations and image management. We are, God not so much. He doesn't look at what's on the outside. He looks at what? He looks at the heart. And only genuine repentance is a repentance that goes all the way to the heart. And it's when the heart changes, when God's Spirit does a work to change the heart of a person, that that heart becomes submitted to and hungry for God's Word. And we want to listen. We want to submit. We want to do what He says because we finally believe that He is the one that can make us flourish more than we can make ourselves flourish. We want to be independent. We want to be our own boss. But after in repentance, we realize that we are not the hero of our own story we don't have the answers. The answers are not deep down inside of you. But it's what God tells you. For You need the answer to come. You need rescue to come from the outside. You need a steady voice from the outside of you that says, this is the way. Or better yet, I am the way. Which is the voice of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me and through my word. And and I want to call us back again to that picture of God. What is he not like? God is not in this story anywhere standing, looking over the shoulders of Isaac in that moment of repentance and say, why did it take you so long? I told you it would happen this way. You brought all this drama into the family and it's all on you, mate. No, he doesn't do that. He just stands there with open arms, arms of a father. And if if repentance can be sweet, For a hundred-year-old man, it can be sweet for any one of us in this room. Many of you have tasted the sweetness of repentance, of of what it feels like to submit to God and his word and just trust him completely for your flourishing and let let go of that sort of angry, impulsive kind of rage of of Esau or that scheming, plotting kind of um, way of, of Jacob. Just say, God, have your way in me. Have your way in me by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in me. This invitation to return to him is always on the table. That's why we set the table every week. It's a table of repentance as well as a table of remembering. And so this morning, if you need to do business with God, I invite you to do that as we come to the table. If you need to do business with God, you want to taste the sweetness of repentance, then come to the table to recognize once again that everything that was needed for your repentance, for your forgiveness, for your renewal, for your cleansing, for your salvation, was accomplished in Jesus. He said those words, it is finished. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to scheme and plot for it. You don't have to be the strongest or the fastest or the smartest person in the room. You just have to come to Jesus. So I invite you to come to him again this morning, to see the price of forgiveness and to taste again, the sweetness of real grace. That is the blessing that is worth waiting for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that the blessing that we seek is the blessing that you won for us, Jesus. Thank you that that blessing is not small, that that blessing is full and complete. And we've only scratched the surface in this life. We are, by faith, joined to Christ. We are in the family. We are co-heirs with him. Oh, help us to believe that, Jesus, as we come to the table that you've set for us this morning. Help us to believe it again. God, if, if there are folks here, men and women, who have been resisting your will, have been holding on to sin, holding on to fear, holding on to habits whatever it might be lord give us by your spirit help us to lay those down to you today at the table to leave them there and receive blessing receive forgiveness receive the grace that you want for us again this morning may it be so and we pray this in jesus name amen thank you for joining us for another message from city light south church You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.